Good evening, everyone. Funny seeing you here. <laughs> Just kidding. Very much looking forward to sitting together. I'm letting the a few people trickle in before we start the sitting. Thanks, Mary, as always, for co-piloting. It's actually Howie Gelman tonight. Oh, okay. Where is Howie? I'm uh, I'm invisible, but I'm audible. Okay. Hi, Howie. Howard. Hi. <laughs> Howie Howard. So you're under the support of the two Howies tonight. Anyway, so happy to see all of your faces. Warms my heart. It's like coming home a little bit because I'm just a little background. I'm on in the middle of leading a, a retreat that, that uh, spans a, almost a week long. And uh, and I don't I don't the the people are not as familiar, but it's interesting how over the course of many days that there develops a kind of familiarity and makes me want to actually do a sustained practice period with all of you and see what it's like to drop in together. But we have this evening and always a greater opportunity when we do this together. There's some kind of invisible support that we offer each other, that we receive from each other. So both take advantage of the, of the support that you are receiving tonight, with all these other hearts and minds that are focused on the reality of our practice, reality of the present moment, and also offer yourself, dedicate your practice tonight, if you're willing to, to support everyone else. Interesting aside, this, this particular retreat has people from 21 different countries. And just, I, the reason I'm telling you this is because the sameness of our human nature just shines right through. We all have the same neurosis, <laughs> the same mind. The world has become so small. So maybe just consider all the people who are still on retreat and all the people throughout the world who are practicing right now and feel as though you're being supported by them and you're, you are supporting them with your practice. So having said all of that, attune to the fact that you are aware here, that's the ultimate fact that you're here and aware. It's more ultimate than even your name. So be aware of being aware here Then 
enjoy that medium of awareness, which we call a body. Feel your body. You may not appreciate that each moment that you gather your attention to the sensations of your sitting body, you're cultivating the cause of more ease and more freedom. You're cultivating what are called the awakening factors, the factors of awakening and the factors of enlightenment. Obviously, the main navigator of the factors of enlightenment is mindfulness, is, is the knowing that you're sitting here, comprehending what it is that's happening. But also the energy of, of determination and interest or curiosity, whatever flavor of delight or enjoyment, or joy, Gathering and sustaining in the living present brings joy. You can also arouse a little delight just in the fact of sitting, the fact that you're here, that the past has passed, the future remains in the realm of dreams. Just enjoy that. Enjoy. And the other awakening factors of a of the harmony of mind and body, of concentration, of equanimity. These moments of mindful attention are moments that you're non-reactive. They're planting the seed of equanimity, of, of non-reactivity, of acceptance of life as it's presenting itself. calm and curiosity. Maybe just those two tonight would be sufficient to attune to. Just the awakening of calm just by being here and then being slightly curious about what you discover. In this way we are cultivating the path. But to come a little bit closer, feel the still, the gentle stillness of your sitting body. To let the idea of your body give way to the feeling of the sensations, the sense of aliveness the points of feeling. Noticing the, the stilling of mind and the stilling of body that happens naturally, just here. And even within that sense of stilling, we can enjoy the gentle movements and sensations that arise as our body breathes. And we can ride those sensations to a calm abiding.
energizing with the in-breath, calming, letting go with the out-breath. Really making no effort to breathe, just noticing how the body fills and energizes and how the body empties and calms. Letting the breathing happen all by itself. It's just breathing, body breathing. No need to be directed or controlled, just allowed, received in awareness. But receiving it intimately, sticking to it, sustaining, spreading out all around it, not missing any part of the experience of the body's in-breath and out-breath even enjoying the spaces between the breaths where we let go into the openness of our practice. Calm and curiosity. Just this breath, just this moment. Until something else lights up in your awareness other than the breath. Sounds, just let them be heard. Other sensations, let them be felt. They're just sensations, just sound. Moods, Emotions, just moods, just emotions. Thoughts and images, they're just thoughts. Let the whole process happen on its own. Just as a way of receiving, accepting. Feel free to add that little word, just. It's just breathing. Just anger, just sadness. It's just only in that it comes and it goes. Just entering in the stream, into the stream of changing conditions from a place of balance and stillness Calm and curiosity. Just this moment, this breath, or whatever moves into the foreground of awareness and becomes predominant. Everything welcome. Non-contentious awareness.
Every moment is a new beginning. Past has passed, future is an idea, it's just this. It's fresh, open. This moment of freedom to discover, to plant seeds. We awaken in ourselves an unconditional quality of calm. ever available quality, interest or curiosity. Maybe we need a little determination, a little energy. Keeping it simple. Calm, curious. energetic effort to stay present, to be aware. No matter, no matter how many times you realize you've been lost in thought, each one of those moments is a moment of beginning, of mindfulness re-arising, time to plant the seeds again. No time for judgment, evaluation, just availability to the next arising experience. Just this moment, just this breath or whatever is stronger. What are you knowing in this moment? Be aware.
in the last moments of the practice, let go of meditating. Let go of the idea of a meditator. And just bathe in awareness and silence. In the harmony of mind and body. Not doing anything. Non-meditation. In the words of Noshul Ken Rinpoche, rest in natural great peace. This exhausted mind, beaten helpless by karma and neurotic thought, like the relentless fury of the pounding waves and the infinite ocean of samsara, endless wandering. Rest in natural great peace. Give it all up right now. Rest. Be free. Be here. Be aware. Awareness itself. I had a little what we call in the Theravada tradition, sinking mind tonight. <laughs> or the, in the Tibetan world, they call stupid shamatha. <laughs> Highly valued because of the healing effects of tranquility, but, but not much, um, not very bright attention. We, we make little adjustments as much as we can to maintain aware presence, but sometimes it's, it looks like the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem.
I have to admit I'm feeling some of the residue of of leading a, a retreat right now. Some of you may have drifted in later and didn't hear me talk about it. But it's a, you know, almost a week-long retreat and and it's been a retreat on the four foundations of mindfulness. And something that I, I try to connect with each week here, because it is it's part of the famous Sutta, Sutta Sutra teaching from the Buddha. That, um, that teaches us how to come to the end of so much stress, the mind created stress. The, once you're born, there's stress no matter what, but so much of the mind stress is, is optional. It is, it just depends on mental habits, depends on confusion. And it largely just depends on, um, when I talk about mental habits, it's determined by our hearts and minds not being very well trained. <laughs> because our minds left to their, their own devices unexamined, unrecognized, they fall into pretty universal habits. What makes us human is that we tend to live a lot in, the, um, in our imagination, live a lot in our imagination, and we fall into what I, maybe I'll even title tonight's thoughts, uh, a case of mistaken identity. We mistakenly identify with the version of ourselves that plays in our minds. And once, once there is that case of mistaken identity, because of that version because that version that plays in our minds is, um, usu is usually somewhat dissatisfied, somewhat unhappy, somewhat uh, building the life of the imagination around a feeling of lack. all very um, natural because of a because of a tendency when the moments of our lives all the moments of our life and that's really all we have is moments the moments of our lives occur our life occurs 
completely unbidden. <laughs> Things show up at our different senses. The whole of our life is six experiences. One of the things that we we lose touch of why this case of mistaken identity is that we actually think our life is the drama that plays through our mind, how it appears to us. But if we really bring it down to what our life actually is, what is your life right now? If you don't, if you don't look at it historically, which is the version that plays in your mind. What is it on present evidence? What is your life? Now, as soon as you talk about your name, as soon as you talk about your situation, as soon as you talk about your past, as soon as you talk about your future, you're in the realm of the imaginary life. Madison, I can't read your emoji, but <laughs> that's okay. We can get to it another time. But when I say, what is your life, is what is happening? The last place we usually look is at the presently arising experience. If we were to if we were able and if we train ourselves to to see our life as it really is, not as we imagine it to be, it's not as bad as you think. Period. What it really is, is it sounds very, when we put it in, in sense experience terms, it sounds very uninteresting. The thought of it, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, five physical senses, one mental. That doesn't sound very exciting. You can't make a big drama about it, but when you experience life in this simple unfolding of these six experiences, the experience of it is incredibly rich, satisfying, incomparable to any imagined life or place or identity. Yet this is the last place we look to find our life. We look to where we're going or where we've been or how we think about things or what's wrong. And there are plenty of things if you look for what's wrong. There's plenty of things to find that are, that are wrong. 
But I think all of us, if we truly want to be free, we have to start with the way things actually are, not in narrative form, but in immediate experience form. And it's in this immediate experience form, right now I'm seeing, hearing the sound of my voice, feeling the sitting body sitting, feeling a certain kind of aliveness, and feeling the, the welling of an intention to be able to communicate something. It's a, a bit of desire in the mind. It feels like a wholesome desire. But it's very immediate, very alive. And it doesn't fit into any version of myself that I play in my mind. Other than that I can reflect on the fact that I'm functioning in this role tonight. And that required my memory. And that's useful. But I really want to focus on what happens right here. What happens in your life? What is your life right now? Because this is where, this is where if we really understood what happens right here and how this little seed of six experiences, how that turns into such a, a case of mistaken identity, if we could really understand how that happens, if we could understand what really is the secret code for how our life turns into more stress, we could actually unwind that stress and come to liberation, free our hearts. One of the beautiful things about the Buddha's teaching is he, was, he articulated that secret code and he talked about it, but then the only way to actually benefit by what he talked about is to see it for ourselves. He basically said, if your mind and your body are here, if you've, if you've been born into this world with senses and perceptions, this is this immediate experience is the world. This is the world. This is not the story of the world. That's a wondrous story. But the world is this. He said it's within this fathom long body where we find the world. Then he said that it's within this fathom long body where we where we see the the cause of the world, how the world of our imagination gets built. How the identities and stories and, and worries and plans, everything gets built right here. And that's seeing the code of how that happens, great. 
because if you see the code of how that happens, then you can see that the world that we make in our minds, it ends. And that the path to end that endless, and the reason that, why would we want to end that world? Because that world is a world of what's called samsara, of endless wandering, endless mistaken view that I am going somewhere that will bring me relief, will make me better, will make me enough. And that uh, someday I will, I will have solved the, the problem that has plagued me. I don't know whether I, when I say this, whether it, it strikes any chord with the, this feeling of I'm not quite there yet. Buddha basically said it's in this body right here that we find the world, the cause of it, the end of it, and the path to the end of it. So what is that code? What do we need to understand and experience that will, that will end the world so that we can actually rest in that natural great peace that I talked about during the sitting? that we can actually feel free, feel that our heart has released its tight fist of grasping. A little sneak preview, just noticing here where we find the world. Notice your experience after your last thought has ceased and before the next one arises. As Dujam Rinpoche said, isn't it true after that last thought has ceased and before the next one comes, isn't it it not true that there is a vivid clarity that has never altered even by hair, that, that there is an intrinsic Aware presence that's never been altered. In fact, if you try to not be aware and try to alter that, that awareness can't. But the only way you recognize that is, is when your mind is a little is momentarily free of your last thought and before the next one. What's the fragrance of that vivid clarity? Dujim said, this is awareness. Unalterable. But then he said, maybe you have a little sense of that. That vivid clarity that before your mind can create a problem, can create a sufferer, create a unworthiness, create a a world, an imaginary world. The 
before that happens, there's some flavor of silence, peace, uncreated. All we did was for maybe just a moment suspended our usual stream of distress. Stopped. But Jujim Rinpoche says, uh, isn't it true that then a thought arises? And if that thought is noticed, this is one part of the code, if that thought is noticed, it reveals itself as just an aspect of awareness, part of the display of our mind. Oh, the thinking mind, quite miraculous. But if that thought goes unnoticed, that thought spreads out into ordinary thinking, which he calls the chain of delusion. Because when we, when that thought goes unnoticed and that chain of, and that, that chain of delusion, that ordinary thinking, one starts living in that, the world is the world of story. It's the world of narrative, the secondhand version of our life. And that story is a world that's a life that's always getting smaller. Getting narrower getting bound in, as I talk about all the time, getting bound in time. Coming from back in the past, going to the future. None of that's really true, except in the conventional way of thinking about our lives. What really happens in our lives is we stay right where we are and life unfolds. Of course, while we're here, body ages, mind moves all the time, life, the pictures change, the scenery changes, the hair falls out, but we're always here. We don't go anywhere, ever, ever. Life is an unfolding of six experiences. But the chain of delusion is, is, and it's a wonderful thing to be able to, to see what our mind is doing, to see the, see the track that our mind goes on. It's amazing how, how through the thinking mind I can create I can remember my past present moments. I can manufacture a vision of future present moments. Meanwhile, nothing's really happening, except my mind is this incredible creative display. But if I think that I'm actually that version of myself, I'm in what we call delusion that view of myself, the Buddha called Sakaya Ditti, self-view, 
and a view of self that's not myself. What am I? What are you right now? The right nowness of you, you can't even tell what your name is or your gender or your race or ethnicity or any of the other, other identities that require our memory. Useful, all of them very useful, all of them very poignant, but they're still in the, in the code of, in, in, the, um, in the domain of the Dharma of what's actually real, not imaginary, not based on a narrative, not historical. Those identities are, don't have substance. But what's also here doesn't necessarily have substance either. Ever-changing. No place to rest, really, other than in the complete, completely fluid, ever-changing unfolding of these six sense experiences. But if we have a chance in our lives to connect with this bare simplicity, to uncomplicate our lives for just a little bit in the span of this, of our 80 years or whatever our average is, if we can just experience life directly and know the difference between what's real, alive, and immediate, and what's imaginary, we can be liberated. We can then relate to our life stories, relate to our identities, relate to our circumstances without as much stickiness, without as much me-making and my-making and without as much identification, without the burden of trying to secure something that is imaginary, fix something that was never broken, make someone worthy who is never unworthy. to rediscover that you, as Thich Nhat Hanh says, that you are already and have always been the richest person on earth. Just by virtue of the fact that you are, are here. And so you could finally stop, as he puts it, begging for a living. To just reclaim your natural state, your heritage. That's why we practice, we stop. So that we can connect with life and not stray away from the fullness, the the immersion in life, the, the, the 
suchness of life that the Buddha was called Tathagata, the one who knows suchness, the one who knows isness, one who's, who has a mind like everyone else, who has this me-making and my-making capacity. It has our, a great story. It is a wonderful story, useful story. The Buddha is one who sees that that story is, arises and passes, has no, has no ultimate reality. And the Buddha in you relates to that story, relates to our identities rather than relates from them. I so often talk about if I'm relating from the identity of teacher while I'm trying to share this, it would just come across like somebody. I have to forget that when I'm, when I'm just sharing. I can't be busy. I can't keep that identity, that conceptions bag, carrying it on my back. In fact, the happiest all of us are is when we're not carrying we're not carrying the load of our conceptions, our stories. So many moments a day where our mind is just, we're just doing what we're doing when we're doing it, happiest times. Yet the thought of giving up our identity views, that cherished project that we're on of fixing ourselves, the thought of that is terrifying but yet we give it up all the time. It comes, it goes according to when it's needed. When an identity is needed, it shows up. When it's not, it goes into quiescence. Where's the identity now? Now, where is it? And is it needed right now? You need more than ears, nose, tongue, body, and the intelligence that comes with awareness. Do you really need any more right now? And are you, have you really lost anything in letting it go into quiescence for a little while? This is what happens in meditation. We, we fall in, we go to that, that understanding that was expressed in the Mahayana tradition having no view of self, one is always peaceful. So how do we get so caught up in view of self? Getting back to the code, just five more minutes on the code. These six experiences and each of us talked a little bit about this domain of experience on the retreat. We all talked about it in our own way, but, but the Buddha's essential teaching about these six experiences is really describing the code of how we get from this simplicity to this drama and how to unravel it. So what happens? There's six, there's contact in our lives. Contact means that, that our senses 
meet an object. In other words, there's a moment of seeing, something is seen in the consciousness of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, and also another sense experience, five physical, one mental sense. Every single one of those six experiences arises with, based on the moment, based on conditioning, it arises with a feeling tone that's either pleasant. This is the second foundation of mindfulness. So it's really at the heart of the teaching. It arises with a, a feeling tone or a valence of either pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant or unpleasant, somewhere in between. You've heard this many times before, but this is where the, this is where the secret code is. It is this feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant, neither pleasant or unpleasant, where the whole cycle, the whole chain of delusion starts and where the chain of delusion can be cut. Here's what happens. There's that moment of contact. There's a pleasant feeling. I see someone in the, on the Zoom screen who to my, when my eye meets them, it produces a pleasant feeling and it goes unnoticed. I'm thinking more about what happens in retreat centers, but this is our retreat center for the night. Someone I see on the screen, a moment of visual contact, I see them, produces a pleasant feeling. May not have some much mindfulness at that moment. And so that pleasant feeling goes right into, moves right into liking. A little charge. I like that person. So it started with pleasant, but then it moved into liking. It went a little bit unnoticed. That liking is followed with wanting. Wanting is followed with craving. And you can tell right now, just in a few moments, tension has built. And once craving is in my mind, once wanting is in my mind, there's a pressure to do something to release the tension. The tension is building and the, the narrative that starts to release from that is, I can't happen, I can't be happy until I, until I, I need some, I need to meet this person in order to release this tension that's building. And I'm going to plan how I can meet this person, how we're going to date, how we're going to uh, travel, we're going to marry, we may even divorce. Now remember, nothing's happened except a moment of contact followed by feeling, a feeling tone, followed by liking, wanting, and then the pressure of that building and then 
an, a release of this of um, what's called papancha of uh, proliferation of thought of elaboration. I've turned this simple sense moment into a, an elaborate story. And if I incarnate in that story, I think, oh my gosh, I will never be happy until I meet that person and we can go have chai on the chai shop in Bodhgaya. And we'll both, we'll both have go to the, the famous tailor and have our zafu stuffed with cotton and so we can do retreats together. And I'm just... So one thing leads to another. And if we have lots of moments like that, what muscle gets strengthened is the muscle of dissatisfaction, the muscle of craving. And of course, when it's an unpleasant experience, it's the muscle of aversion. So the reactive mind gets going. And the trance of the reactive mind, whether it's pleasant or imaginary, imagining pleasant things or unpleasant, the, the effect of the reactive mind is that it colors the present six experiences, the simple reality, it colors it as being just a pass-through place on our way to something better. And then happiness is no longer just staying here, bearing witness to this extraordinary unfolding of life from a place of peace and ease and compassion. But instead it is this wandering in my imagination. And the imagination is thinking about myself in time a lot. And time is running out. It's thinking my, I am my body and my body is getting older. It's thinking I am my moods and they're changing. Everything's moving. No rest. And finally, somewhere in that span of drama, there's a little call. I'm exhausted. Let me come back home. Let me find my way home. We never really left, except in our imagination. Let me find my way back home. And then we go to a meditation class. And maybe someday I'll get there, I'll meditate enough, rouse some energy and concentration, and moment to moment mindfulness, and maybe then I'll be liberated, but even that is a trick that our mind plays that, that makes us forget that it is in our fathom long body here now, where we find the world, where we find the cause of the world that we spin out, we find the end of the world and we find the path right where we are and it goes nowhere.
So the training in mindful attention is not to become awakened, become somebody different. The training is to moment to moment cut that chain wherever it starts, that chain of delusion by being present for the six experiences with their valence, with their feeling tones and being able to enjoy the pleasure that comes with the pleasant. Let it be, the body be suffused in pleasure without it leading to grasping. To be able to accommodate the unpleasant without having it lead to being pissed off at somebody all day or for months on end. But to be able to accommodate something, some disappointment, some grief, some sadness, all the inevitable experiences of life, the deep unpleasantnesses of life, but without it necessarily leading to denial or aversion or anger, frustration, all the effects of reactivity, to have the, the experiences that are neither pleasant or unpleasant, the neutral experiences be, be um, embraced as the doorways to equanimity and balance, calm and concentration. To have all the awakening factors arise here, not from creating something, not from becoming another person, not from being a meditator, but just from being aware. If you call meditation just being aware, great. So wherever you go, guard your senses, keep your attention. Know when you're seeing, know when you're hearing, know when you're smelling, know when you're tasting, know when you're touching. Keep it simple. And you'll, as Ajahn Chah says, if you let go into this simplicity, you'll have a little peace. If you let go a lot into this simplicity, you'll have a lot of peace. And if you let go completely of this torment of time, you will have complete peace and freedom. Your struggles, your fight with life will, will come to an end, he said. So I don't know if any of that made sense, but it was fun sharing it and uh, wish you all a life of simplicity and a lot of mercy and compassion for how much me making and my making our minds create, but try to enjoy it. See, the identity is selfless. It's just another part of our mind. You don't have to get rid of it. Um, we have a couple minutes for announcements. Anybody who's making the announcements? Am I? Howie, am I making them or are you making them? You are making them. Okay. I talked tonight about the, um, the beauty of having continuity of practice with the people I've been sitting with all week. But uh, I also, we also have an opportunity with our Sangha and anybody who wants to come anywhere in the world 
this Saturday I am doing, or Sunday, I'm doing a half day, a Mission Dharma half day. All the information is in our bulletin, the email bulletin on our website, half day on beginning again. Howie, I'm posting it on the chat right now. Oh, great, great, great. But it's always wonderful to just marinate for four hours together. And uh, it, um, yeah, just love to see all of you there. And, and then I also have a, a, the following weekend, I have a two-day retreat with the Houston Insight Meditation Community and the Mariposa Sangha of Austin, Texas. And they're wonderful communities, and they've wel they're welcoming all the Mission Dharma community to come and sit with them as well. We've sometimes kept it more, more uh, Texas-centric, but now we're, because of Zoom, we're inviting in the whole, the whole shebang if you'd like to come. So that would be fun, too. But it's just a beautiful thing to... to to stop and marinate and just get used to life really as it is and not just as we imagine it to be. So I'd love to see you there. And as always, we meet because of the goodness of your hearts and the ways that you express generosity, either your, your presence here, but also your financial offerings. And that's how the teachings have been shared for thousands of years and teachings are offered and those who receive them uh, offer support so that the wheel of dharma can keep rolling so thank you for your support and i think in the chat all the ways that you can offer dana generosity is posted so thanks for your practice tonight please unmute your feel free to unmute and say good night to each other it's really fun to be with you tonight thank you Good Hi. Night. Hi. 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 Hi.